Welcome to Talk About. On Talk About, our goal is to sit down with open-minded people for open and honest discussion. No judgment, no hidden agenda, just getting the conversation started. This week we sit down with professional artist Marc Gagné. In this unguarded chat, we get a peek into how Marc's personal perspective and mental health influence his art, as well as the power of open dialogue surrounding the stigmas attached to anxiety and depression. Sit back and enjoy the show. I noticed that you had a drink handy. Yes. Awesome. Well, let's pick up those drinks and do a virtual cheers. So cheers, cheers Mark. Soon enough, hopefully, we'll be able to do things like this in person. Uh, it yeah. seems like we're heading in that direction. Yeah, for sure. Where Whereabouts are you? So I'm in Whippy. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, whereabouts are you? I'm in Sudbury. Oh, Sudbury. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that's how does it feel up there with all the lockdowns and stuff like that? Is it isolating up there? Yeah. I mean, it, for the longest time I was like, oh, you know, I feel like I've trained my whole life for this isolation thing. Cause I'm, I'm not a, a social butterfly or anything. So I'm always like, eh, I'm okay with this. You know, like uh, me and my wife are, are happy to just be together in the house and chilling and playing video games and whatever, you know, but um I've definitely gotten gotten to some points where I'm like, you know, I could I could really use some human interaction, you know, like hanging out with with friends or whatever. Not that I have a big friend network or anything, but just being able to hang out with somebody, play board games. Like we just before the pandemic hit, we had started a D and D campaign with some people here, and then it just just had to sort of fold the whole thing, you know. So. I, it could be a kind of lonely or whatever. And, but I think most people in most areas are going through that. Yeah, for sure. I, I think it's interesting though, to pick people's brains on what isolation uh, and, and that, that interaction or lack thereof kind of means to them, because like you said, you, you're, I would say probably an introvert. You would classify yourself as an introvert. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. And so, yeah, with that, you would think that this is the perfect storm for being <laughs> just yeah, comfortable it, in your own and it's kind of amazing how something like this really sort of uh clarifies how you feel about other people and and your interactions with them like I, like i said I, I i've never really had big sort of social networks or anything but i've always enjoyed hanging out with a small group of people and playing board games or whatever. I'm not, I've never been like a bar person. So I've never been interested in, you know, bar hopping and crawling and whatever, but uh, yeah, just chilling and with some friends with some snacks and, you know, playing uh, board games or playing, uh, you know, uh, quiplash or something on the, you don't know, Jack uh, oh, video yeah. game things there. Yeah. Those are kind of fun too, but uh, yeah, it, uh, it definitely makes you sort of appreciate people a little bit more that the, you know, the people that were important to you. I think it's really cool to hear that from an introvert. Um, you know, uh, we're going to get into a little bit more of your, your background and uh, some of the conversation that we've been having over the past couple of months has been around mental health. Right. Uh, I was lucky enough to, if people have listened to prior episodes, I, I had uh, Keith, on from Con uh, concave gallery and we had actually purchased one of your pieces right uh, now when i have to say is it's really cool for me to, to nerd out a little bit uh, and and talk to the person who 
has a piece of their art in my home right in the foyer. Uh, I started to pick Keith's brain a little bit on, on the art and the characters that were involved with this art. And there seems to be a bigger backstory to this character, these, these characters that you've created. Um, I want to start there because I think that that's a, that's a pretty cool thing. Now, these, I'm not going to try to describe them. Uh, people can, I'll include links so people can see your art. But what would you call this character or these characters, first and foremost? Well, I think you're, you're referring to the little sort of furry guardian sprite characters. Yes. They were initially conceived as um, sort of a statement on uh, how humans have treated the environment and, and nature. These little guardian sprites are sort of little protectors of the natural world. You know, they're friends of the, the trees and the, the little critters and all that kind of thing. And I think with those characters, there's there's a cuteness and a playfulness, but there's also a little twinge of uh, sadness or melancholy as well, just in terms of tackling that whole environmentalism uh, issue. And then just sort of springboarding off of there. Like when I first drew the character, it was just a cute little character with, I think, a bunny or something like that. And then it just kind of took off from there. People really seemed to gravitate towards the characters. And it's it's just kind of blown up. It's kind of become my uh, IP, I guess you want to say, which, which is really cool, you know. It's amazing to have like a staple, something that you're you're known for, because what I have or what we have here is what I call our family portrait, because that's what when we first looked at it, I said to my girlfriend, I was like, this is, this is our family portrait. We need to buy this. We both have uh, a tendency to uh, gravitate to things that are a little bit more obscure, a little darker, uh, yeah. and, and, but not something where it's heads rolling on the ground and stuff like that. Right. And I, I mean, I, I have done art like that in the past. Like, uh, you know, I, I used to do uh, sort of up, upcycling, uh, like, thrift store prints and, and it was like blood and you know violence and stuff like that often sort of leaning into the ideas of trauma and child abuse and stuff like that too like there was always sort of a message behind it but I've kind of veered away from the more overtly uh, violent imagery mm-hmm. and still tackling sort of subjects that are important to me but it's still having a darkness to them but sort of balancing it out with an appealing image or an appealing character with a little bit of cuteness, I guess. Do you think that that is more to do with your state of mind now, as opposed to when you first started to express yourself through art, or is this something that is a conscious effort because you know that the, the darker, more abrupt images are not necessarily as, as accepted or, or even marketable, uh, not to put a business spin on it, but marketability has to be a component of this. Yeah, I definitely, it's probably all those things. Um, like when I was doing those upcycled violent, uh, you know, pieces, I was definitely in a darker place, uh, struggling a, a lot more with mental health issues and having suicidal thoughts and, and all that kind of stuff. And it's even, it's it, my uh, wife has noticed that I definitely have like a sort of a seasonal shift in, in my moods. And I go through these these phases where I'll do like more cutesy kind of stuff, like with the guardian sprites. And then in the, in the dead of winter, I tend to go darker and a little more existential with my work. And you'll see like more of my inked photography stuff coming out. But yeah, in, ter- in terms of shifting away from the, the overtly violent stuff, I, I think it's definitely, I mean, once it's one, like you said, it's more marketable. And 
to, I think it's just refining my subjects, you know, and, and I think it's better uh, in a way to not lean too much in the overtly violent. You could still convey these sort of themes without hitting somebody over the head with it. Yeah, that's, that's totally fair. I, I'm a huge horror fan uh, yeah, and same. I have, yeah. So I view that as one of my outlets over the years and being able to almost live through that violence and live through that idea that somebody's mind can take things to such an extreme that I could just never see myself going. Uh, right. So, so I can, I can kind of relate on that level. Um, right. The thing that I find that's seems to be really a healthy approach for, for yourself and anybody who's listening really is that you've been able to go from those suicidal tendencies and that violence to finding different ways to express similar ideas. Do you have any jumping off points for people that you can kind of pinpoint something that you decided or was it just an organic thing that, that flowed away from something that seems so extreme to something that may be a little bit more healthy and a little bit more uh, tangible for people to accept? Um, it's a good question. Probably ha- happened more organically. Cause like, even like, you know, like I mentioned with the whole sort of seasonal phases, it's something that I didn't really notice in myself, but it was pointed out by my wife. So I think it just sort of happens um, in terms of, of the mental health struggles it's definitely been a lot of hard work on my part to work my way through those suicidal phases and reach a healthy, you know, point for my mental health. Um, I mean, it's always a work in progress. It, you know, I've said before that my mental health is like a, a piece of artwork. It's it's always it's always in progress. You know, so it's it's always changing, and you know, um, so I don't I don't know if there was really a catalyst or like a, a sort of main thing that happened to, to set me off into a healthier path. I think it just was a, a progression of becoming a healthier person overall. Uh, my weight loss and everything contributed, I'm sure, to, to being a, a, you know, a somewhat happier person. Yeah, that would be the, probably the best explanation for it. It's really cool, man. I, I like the way that, that, that you explain that and the way that you articulate it. One of the things that I pluck out of that when you're talking is the value of surrounding yourself with people who can, you can talk to and can talk to you openly. And, and obviously I'm referring to your wife in this situation. Um, you would think a husband and wife can talk openly about everything and anything, but that's not always the case. So for her to be able well, definitely to, definitely yeah, right. So for, for her to be able to point that out to you, that's, that's an amazing tool for you to be able to hone in on and develop even more in this art. That is your life. Right. Well, she's been, she's been such an incredible partner in so many ways. I mean, in terms of of being an artist, you know, she's been a great sounding board for, you know, what does this image work? And, you know, is, is the theme coming through and, you know, or is it muddled or whatever, you know, and even in terms of, of, just being so supportive of my work and also having sort of deeper conversations about things about mental health and whatever. She's had her struggles as well and her past traumas and all that, you know, so we've always been able to speak very openly about those struggles. That's amazing. You are a professional artist um, and you are making a living at this, which I've talked to artists in different forms, whether it's uh, the art that you present or comedians or actors, 
musicians, it's not easy to make a living out of doing the things that you're so passionate about. At right. what point in time do you think that you identified yourself? Not being paid, obviously we understand that component of it, but when did you identify yourself as a professional artist who was going to make a living doing this? Well, in terms of having that that actual goal of doing that, um, I mean, that was something I always wanted, but I think uh, being more serious about it was probably like eight, seven, eight years ago. I had sort of, I mean, I've always been dabbling in the art and I've owned my own art galleries uh, in the past, like, you know, 10 years ago or whatever. Um, but then I kind of put that on the back burner. My health was very poor. So I was kind of struggling with that and focusing on that and just sort of surviving. And then I just started, you know, doing more drawing again, you know, um, like my major art form before I got back into drawing was mostly photography. Um, but then I started getting back into drawing again and, uh, my wife then, you know, girlfriend was really pushing me to continue it and, you know, hone your craft and all that and, and really sort of explore things. And it kind of just went from there, which was so different from my past relationship where I didn't really have any support, uh, of, you know, doing my craft and, and being an artist and whatever. Whereas, you know, my wife was really just like, yeah, yeah, you're great. Keep going, you know, keep exploring and doing your thing, you know, which yeah. makes a huge difference. Like if you have, if you surround yourself with people that are supportive of your endeavors, it makes such a world of difference. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And, and I think I would echo that it doesn't have anything to do with anybody's mental capacities. You could seem to be the most together person in the world, but if you don't have that support, you're not going to go anywhere. No, no, it's, it's so, it's so dependent on your environment, you know, like you, you can just sort of get crunched down and sort of defeated uh, without that sort of uh, support around you, you know? Yeah. Now, mental health is, is a big part of your life, obviously. You talk about it openly on social media. You, you and I have talked about it openly uh, as we're chatting and getting ready for this recording. I was really excited because uh, to have somebody who's on the front lines, like you're on the front lines of something that is just now being expressed more and talked about more. Um, but I'm curious personally, how has your mental health affected your art or has your art helped and or exacerbated um, your mental health issues? I'm curious about that. I think especially in the last uh, year and a half, which is when I started uh, doing the inked photography series where I was taking photographs that I took in abandoned locations, uh, you know, abandoned houses, stuff like that, which was a huge hobby for me, you know, about 10 years ago or so. It just sort of became an idea to take those photos and sort of blend it together with my illustration uh, work. So I was drawing these sort of dark characters and these spirits and stuff like that on the photography. And it kind of ended up being... Uh, I would often be doing subjects, you know, based around trauma and loss, the passage of time, mental health. And I think in a way it kind of helped me cope, especially during the pandemic, which is when this whole series came about was right in the middle of the pandemic. Uh, it helped me cope with things. I think it helped with my mental health issues and it, it kind of opened up dialogue about mental health and my own mental health and sort of figuring out myself and what my struggles are, what, what exactly is going on, you know, like, and, and discovering things about myself, like, 
you know, uh, I don't work well when I'm depressed, you know, I tend to sort of shut down when I'm depressed and I tend, and often I tend to be hyper-focused and sort of uh, manic in my creativity when I have anxiety. So I think, I think in a way it definitely has helped me and it, it definitely seems to have helped others because I've gotten so many more eyes on my artwork when I started doing the yanked photography. Like it's amazing the feedback I've gotten from people that how they've connected to these images and I've had people open up to me in, in private messages about their past traumas and child abuse and stuff like that, which is terrible to hear that they experienced that. But at the same time, they're sort of healing by sharing, which is really, really cool. That's phenomenal. Uh, and I commend you for, for being a beacon that people can come to because it's so vitally important. I think all of us are seeing that now, but anybody who struggles with depression on any level knows how important it is to be able to have an outlet, a trusting space that you can actually kind of express your own views and opinions uh, that right. you never thought you could before. Your inked art, I actually, we actually saw uh, when we were at the studio, it was a, it was a close tie between the, uh, the, the, the Guardians and some of the art. There was one if I'm remembering correctly, where the spirits were coming out of the water on like a sunset, which was okay. in black and white, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and there was a, another one where there was a, um, a, a TV and there were spirits on the TV. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I've seen some of that stuff and, and you can definitely see it. I, I never want to assume when people are expressing themselves what the message is, but it clearly looked like you were playing with some elements there. Uh, it's really cool to hear that it, it actually has a a space, and it's not just you messing around. This is real stuff. Like you're you're talking about real issues that people have with trauma and loss and time and depression. How did you imagine this to be able to do it? Well, in terms of the photography, like even you know, the, just the photography itself and these abandoned spaces has always sort of conjured up uh, images of past lives, and you know, it's just sort of. Uh, putting myself in the shoes of who potentially could have lived in these spaces. What were their lives like? What were their struggles? Why did they leave all of a sudden and left their lives behind? Um, so there's always been sort of a melancholy aspect to, to those uh, images. And so it then it just kind of fed itself into what I was putting onto them with my illustrations, you know, like, like there's one image I have uh, of it was taken in an abandoned train station and it's just these these stairs with a red ball sitting at the bottom of the stairs. And that it that's what it was. That's what was there when I took the photo. There was literally a, a red ball sitting there at the bottom of the stairs. And so I reimagined reimagined the image with, you know, a child sort of huddled in the corner and another child sort of sitting sadly on the steps. And so it. I had called that one echoes of a violent past. So it plays into sort of child abuse and trauma and isolation and whatever, you know? So, uh, so yeah, just, it, it kind of just happens uh, organically like that, where, you know, I, I look at the image and what sort of feelings am I getting from it? What sort of composition can I make, you know, in, in that space that I photographed and, and sort of tell a little story that, I mean, which can always morph into something different in the viewer's eyes, which is really cool too, mm -hmm. you know, but it, it starts a, a pretty interesting dialogue with people about what they're taking from it, you know. Very cool. Now, speaking of people and dialogue, you have 
people PMing you, you know, they're, they're talking to you about their own tra- challenges. You're dealing with your struggles. How does hearing other people's struggles affect you good or bad? It, it's always funny, you know, it, no matter what you're going through, at least for me, I don't, I don't usually tend to take people's trauma onto myself. I've always been a, like a good listener and I can, you know, sort of, you know, just be an ear, you know, I, I don't try to, to sort of give any solutions or anything like that. Cause I, you know, I, I don't want to impede on their, on their journey and whatever. Um, but, you know, I've always been open, open to listening to people's situations and issues and whatever. I think it's kind of helped me. And it, I mean, it, it, it helps, seems to help everyone in knowing that they're not alone in these struggles, you know, like uh, I can't, I personally, I can't relate to child abuse or anything like that, thankfully, but there's also sort of a shared sort of level of, of, of mental health that sort of runs through a lot of these things, you know, so that I can, I can uh, be uh, sympathetic to the depression, anxiety aspect of it and, and living with that. So I think it's, it's been sort of healing for me as well to sort of have this community forming around my art of people that have all gone through something. Very important, the conversation around mental health, right? And how you deal with an individual who is opening up to you, because that's the goal. The goal is to get somebody talking and opening up. And I know that in my conversations uh, in in the past, throughout my entire life, I'm similar to you, uh, good ear, you know, just listen to people. But in the past, with no guidance and no understanding of these situations, my tendency was to do the thing that we're learning now is not the right thing to do. Pat them on the shoulder and say, everything is going to be okay, or try to downgrade it. Uh, We know it's downgrading it now, but we didn't know that before. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just, just cheer up and uh, you know, you'll be okay. It'll all work out. And we have to allow people to feel what they're feeling, you know, to, to, you have to sort of work your way through it. You can't be just like, ah, you're just sad. You'll be all right. Go have a bowl of ice cream and you know, you'll, you'll be okay. And that's, that's not how depression and anxiety or any other mental health issue works. You know, like uh, people don't necessarily want to hear any sort of colloquialism or, or whatever, you know, about how to sort of get over it. They just want you to sit next to them and listen, or just be a warm body next to them. Yeah, just that that feeling of isolation, which you can feel even if you're surrounded by a group of people, right? That's one of the right. things with mental health that we're learning before COVID is it's it's very easy to say now that everyone is isolated. And we were talking about isolation earlier, uh, but it's not, it's so much harder to wrap your head around when you're in a group of people and you still feel isolated, especially yeah. when you're surrounded by love. Everyone seems to be getting a taste of that now. Everyone's starting to understand what isolation is. In some ways, because I'm looking at the pandemic in a lot of different lights and I'm trying to figure out different things that we can learn from it. I think that when it comes to the mental health conversation, like a lot of other things, it's really the pandemic has really uh, elevated and escalated the things that people have been feeling on a regular basis, but didn't know how to put a name or a face to it. When it comes to your personal struggles, you know, one of the things that we were talking about earlier was um, outlets. You obviously are an artist. So people would automatically think, well, this is your outlet. This is all that you need in order to express yourself. And Mark is perfectly fine. What would you say to that? What would you say are some of the other, some of the other outlets that you've tried to integrate into your life 
um, in this in daily battle? Um, not so much during the winter because I hate the winter. Uh, but uh, during the warmer months, I, I try to get more exercise. I go on hikes and sort of get back to nature. My wife and, and I will play basketball in, in the driveway and in our basketball hoop and just, you know, I, I think definitely like getting out and getting some fresh air and, and just getting a little bit of exercise has helped me. Well, I mean, I really do miss, you know, being able to play games and stuff with people, board games and just getting together with a little sort of group of friends and, and just joking and, and that sort of thing, you know, that, um, that sort of camaraderie and whatever that's been lacking in the last, you know, two years. So unfortunately, I don't have a lot of outlets now with, with during the pandemic because of mm-hmm. the isolation. But those were usually the things that at, at least the walking and exercise is something I can still do. Yeah, and, uh, I'm sort of I'm really anxious for spring to come so I can get back uh, into hiking. It feels nice to kind of have that right around the corner. Um, it, it feels like it's close. And it, also with the restrictions being lifted, it feels like it's a different uh, anticipation this time around with the yeah. you know, society opening back up. And yet I still have trepidation and anxiety about it. You know, like uh, my wife and I have been very careful when we've gone out, we've always worn our mask and social distance, uh, especially if, because of my wife, um, she has a severe neurological condition. So she's much higher risk if she gets sick. So we've been very, very careful about that. And even, you know, if the mask mandate lifts, we'll probably continue to wear masks for a while just because we feel safer that way. You know, so there is an excitement with things opening up and and whatever, but there's still that sort of anxiety about what that life is going to be like again, you know, like something that we took for granted our entire lives, you know, and so this last two years has been pretty surreal. I find anxiety such an interesting little mechanism um i don't know if it's i don't know if it's something that's in the brain that is driving the brain to think a certain way or it's the way the brain operates <coughs> when it has a little bit of extra time on its hands but these these things tend to get away from us sometimes don't they mark these these ideas that they <coughs> shouldn't really bother us too much they they tend to pick up steam really quickly yeah, anxiety is a it's a weird thing. It's like your it's your brain sort of fooling you or or I don't know. It's it it's like there's there's this like little gremlin in your brain that sort of gets overexcited and just like oh, worry about this and worry about this and even though it doesn't mean anything to you, like you can't you can't control everything in the world. So why are you stressing so much about it? You know, like Part of that, like with me, like I've, I've sort of unplugged from the whole sort of uh, uh, news media thing because I just I can't I can't take in all this bad news, you know, with the convoys and the war in Ukraine and whatever. Like I can't control that, you know, and, and so I'm always fighting with wanting to stay on top of the news and also like and being informed and just like I just can't deal with all this, you know, so it, it, which always feeds into the anxiety which is also contributing to my sleep issues right now. You know, my, I can't shut off my brain at night. You know, I'm just sort of cycling through all this sort of garbage, you know? Yeah. And, and garbage it is because, you know, I, I totally agree with you. It was kind of funny. I opened up my phone today for my news feeds and, you know, I've been following the pandemic pretty closely when it comes to the numbers and stuff like that. But now that the numbers seem to be secondary news it was right into the rest of the fear mongering, which was like you said, the convoy and the war. And I'm not saying that these aren't important issues, 
but my God, there's got to be some other things out there that we can report on. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Like, especially the convoy, it just, it really just took a hold of, of media everywhere. Like even John Oliver was talking about it and, you know, like, it's just, it's just sort of snowballed into this huge thing and you, we, we can't really do much about it. Like, you know, and I don't know, it's, and it, especially with the convoy thing is that it just became such a sort of uh, ground level thing everywhere where it just was like divisions and whatever, and I'm not going to get into all that and what I believe in and whatever, but it just, uh, it definitely sort of permeates conversation everywhere, and whatever. And it's just like, there's other stuff going on, you know? So maybe the answer then, Mark, is that we, like part of it for our mental health, not, not anybody else's, but we start to equip ourselves with information that we find entertaining and we find interesting to be able to kind of combat that. Like, I like to hear what people have to say about a lot of different things. But when it's that conversation and it's negative all the time, the only thing I can think of is I hear what you're saying. And over here is, this is what I found out. Like I've, we, I've recently started to get back into star Wars, um, which, you know, I, I'm a massive fan of. And uh, before the pandemic, there was a few years where a good buddy of mine and I would sit down and we would do a marathon. We'd watch all the movies uh, in, in one sitting it's, it was ridiculous. The last one was hard because there was more movies added. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. With a new trilogy. Yeah. Oh my Definitely. goodness. And, but and, recently, and then all the side stuff like solo and rogue one and <laughs> exactly, exactly. But now I'm starting to think to myself, okay, I start digging in on some of these things and, and Vader is, is my favorite character. So I was like, okay, I'm going to start, I'm going to go out and get the books and I'm going to start reading the books. And, and right. so it gives me something else to think about because it's really exhausting to wake up and be like, okay, so what are the things that you can't do today? And who is out there fucking things up for everybody else? And I'm not saying that truckers are doing this, but I'm talking about anybody. I'm talking about anybody who is making things difficult for anybody else. Yeah. Um, which I'm <clears> and, and, and sadly, you could find that in the fandoms of Star Wars or whatever, too. Like, there's so much toxicity out there for everything. Yeah. You know, like there's certain things I liked in star Wars that there are certain things I didn't like. Like I really didn't care for the book of Boba Fett, but whatever it's a TV show, you know, it's a lot of it is aimed at kids. I'm not the target audience anymore, I guess, you know, whatever. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm not going to sit there and say, Oh, that person's a Mary Sue. And uh, as if you're so woke and blah, 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 come on, you know, give it a rest. What is it about us that when we like something, we have to get so personal about it. Like, like you said, these are made up things. Uh, I, I couldn't care less if people like what I like. I, I like yeah. it. Uh, but people get so, get so bent out of shape if you say something against something that they had nothing to do with creating. Yeah. It's not like well, I like, came to you I, and said I, Like that I've been Guardians. kind of critical on, on, uh, on my Facebook uh, about my dislike of the book of Boba Fett. I, I just had a lot of problems with the story and blah, 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 you know, and a lot of these choices. And so it's interesting to see some people like, well, I loved it. You know, it's just like, that's cool, man. And, you know, and and like I had a couple of comments like, well, why don't you just stop watching it? And it's like, well, for me, you know, I, I, I'm always critical of the entertainment that I consume, especially the entertainment that I pay for. I pay for Disney plus, which includes the book of Boba Fett. And so I, I feel I have a right to be critical of things. And I've always been sort of a, a critic when it comes to, movies and whatever you know like I, I'm a huge movie buff 
uh, my entire life. So, you know, if I have a problem with the writing or the character development or whatever, I'll, I'll express my, my views on it, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with loving it either. You know, like I, I don't go on other people's posts and sort of yuck their yum, you know, and say, oh, you shouldn't like it. Like, great. I'm glad you enjoyed it. You know, I, when I was younger, maybe I was probably a little more, you know, sort of asshole-ish about it, you know? Yeah. Uh, but now I'm just like, whatever, man, like enjoy what you enjoy. But I think that it's the, it's that back and forth dialogue that I enjoy, which it sounds like you do as well. You, you can give criticism. You can, you can take criticism on something that you, that you don't, or that you like, but yeah. the idea that you have to live and die with this, this thing, it, it's like, it's the biggest problem that we have at the source of most of the issues today, which is people shutting themselves off to hearing any other perspective on something. Yeah. Like yeah, I personally, like... When, when, when I like something, I like to go out there and find the person who doesn't like it. Cause I want to know if, first of all, if I miss something, cause I don't claim to know everything about everything. Right. Um, and I want to know the reasons why that person doesn't like it. Right. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I found, I, so I agree with you. If you pay, if you're paying money, even if you're not, it doesn't make a difference. If you're, if you're, yeah. it's, it's out there for consumption and you're yeah. allowed to, to say what you think of it, you know, like, and, and the thing is, I'm not always negative about stuff too. Like I'll, I'll sing praises for things that I enjoy. Like I I'm really enjoying the reboot of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Oh, and I it, haven't started watching it yet. It's fantastic. Interesting. It's okay. so good. It's a much darker, grittier sort of real take on it. And it's amazing. Very cool. It's, I highly recommend it. All right. I have yeah. to add it to the list. I know a buddy of mine was watching it and he said that he didn't want to like it, but he has no choice. He's liking it. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, we, I, I had my doubts about it, you know, I mean, we all grew up watching the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and you know, it, it was great for the time. Um, it did tackle the odd sort of serious topic. Like when Carlton got a handgun and the pro police profiling and when Will's dad showed up and then left him again, you know, we all remember those, those yeah. episodes, but this one, it's for a different time, you know? So it's, it's not as easy to, to take these subjects and sort of sugarcoat them and, and laugh at uncle Phil throwing jazz out the door and whatever, you know, like, it, so it's definitely inherent of its time. And it's, it's an important, I think, show for, for the time. You're an artist, so you can appreciate that ebb and flow of how society impacts the things that are put out there in public. Yeah. Um, so that that goes a long way in my books. So I, I gotta I gotta check that out. Um, yeah, for sure. I highly recommend it. Another reboot that I found very interesting, not a reboot, I guess, a continuation was uh, Cobra Kai. Um, I haven't I haven't seen that. I know so many people that rave about it, and I've always been sort of a little yeah. standoffish with it because it just kind of looks a bit cheesy to me and I'm sure it is, but yeah, but, it, it uh, is, it is. And, and I would yeah. say that it's definitely, there's definitely a cheese factor there. Um, yeah. But just like what you're describing, not probably the exact same, but you know, like you're describing it's made for now. And I think the interesting thing that they've decided to do with it uh, is they have taken the issues of today and they've kind of also given you the other perspective on it. So you're not necessarily looking at, we understand the bullying situation. We understand the way that we grew up, that certain things that were being said to us and, and we were saying were not appropriate. And right. so they're kind of, they're playing with all those elements, but they're also giving you that back as well. And, you know, introducing those things back into the fray. It's an, and also, and also fleshing out, uh, a character that was just 
simply a bully in the original movie, you know, sweep the leg, Johnny. Now he's, he's actually got a story arc and a background and he's, and from what I hear, he's actually more sympathetic than Daniel. Yeah. You know, which is, which is cool to sort of switch that narrative, you know, which is what they did in Bel Air. Like I won't spoil anything, but it's definitely changed uh, the, the characterization of some of the characters, Mm -hmm. which is really interesting to me, you know, because it just seems to be more real life to me, like how these people would react to the situation, you know? So things that were really glossed over in the original series are really tackling it head on, which is really cool. I think it's, uh, it's amazing what you were seeing that more and more, right? Like the anti-hero, we're seeing the other perspectives We're we're seeing all, a lot of these comic book characters humanized uh, the only one that they really haven't, because in my opinion, I think he's really the only true psychopath that's been depicted in comics is the Joker. And even right. in that movie, which I'm assuming you've seen. The, of just Joker. Joker? Yeah. I haven't. I, I kind of oh, pushed you back on that. I okay. pushed back on that one too, because I had, I had issues with what they were going for in the movie. Um, so I kind of. I, I hear he's amazing in it and, and whatever. I just had, I don't know, certain movies kind of rub me the wrong way and I sort of stay away from them. Like, uh, especially ones that sort of deal with mental health, you know, if it's a really problematic uh, depiction of something. Um, like I, I didn't watch, was M. Night Shyamalan one where the guy had multiple personalities or Split. Split, yeah. See, I had a problem with that because it's really depicting a problematic view of what, multiple personality disorder is you know what i mean yeah so i get i get a little i guess anal or whatever when it comes to those sorts of things just because it's so inaccurate of course and it's it's 100 percent personal for you because this is something that you're you're dealing with on a continual basis and i'm sure i'm sure it's entertaining and i i and i i've heard it's an incredible performance you know Mm because he's playing like whatever x amount of sort of characters and whatever but it also sort of uh, creates a false narrative of what these mental health issues are. And it's such a, a sort of easy trope that people go with in, in movies and TVs that multiple personalities or you just like switch on a dime and he's Margaret and now he's Bob. And then, you know, it doesn't work like that. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and just like people that uh, are manic depressive or people that have schizophrenia, they're not automatically psycho killers, you know? I think that's a really cool point that you're making because we're, we're talking a lot about different groups now, right? Different parts of our, our communities, LGBTQ, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter, you know, a lot of, a lot of disenfranchised and, and groups that have been, you know, shuttered in a lot of ways of expressing themselves. And I have a hard time when I'm watching a movie now from the 80s, which I love the 80s, or even 90s yeah. movies when they're depicted a certain way. Uh, that we know now, uh, maybe we even knew a little bit then, but we know a little bit more now that this yeah. is problematic. And, and one of the things, Mark, that I have a big, a big time problem with is the depiction of females in a lot of movies. It's, yeah. We just watched last night, Rogue One. Now, Rogue One for me, when it first came out, was one of, the, one of my favorites. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, There's same. one female character, too, if you count the, the leader, the, the general of the, the rebellion, yeah. Two female characters. That movie came out in what, 2016? Yeah. That's yeah. insanity to it me. Didn't, it didn't pass the Bechdel test? Oh my God. No, not even, <laughs> not even close. Not even close. Yeah, I know. It, 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 and I hadn't really even thought of that, but it's so true. 
And I, I definitely think the failure of that movie was the Jen Erso character because they didn't flesh her out enough, mm-hmm. you know, and really give us uh, somebody to invest in, you know, which is a shame because a lot of like I love the sort of it's like a Vietnam movie of, of Star Wars, you know, it's a it's a wartime movie of Star Wars, and I mean, I mean, yes, essentially they're they're um, elaborating on a plot point that probably didn't need to be elaborated on, but whatever, you know, it, it was, I, I enjoyed it, but I do recognize the fact that the characters were kind of a little bit hollow and Jen Ursel especially kind of got short, thr- you know, short thrifted or whatever. Um, but Hey, we got that cool hallway scene with Darth Vader. I mean, and, it, I mean, and, like and the uncanny Valley, you know, PS2 era uh, princess Leia. Yeah. All, yeah. As, as well as the general, right. I mean, you've got yeah. him in the, in the entire thing where. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It, uh, this whole thing of, of of putting in CGI versions of these actors just really rubs me the wrong way. Cause I don't know, like the uncanny Valley thing. It's just like, you're not there yet. You know, even with Luke and, uh, and these, these newer series, it's just like, ugh, I don't know. It's only, creepy. The only thing that I have seen recently that I, I really think was handled very respectably, respectively and really matched the movie was have you seen the new ghostbusters i haven't i, okay. I but i i heard there are oh, you heard. okay so you've heard some stuff in there i've heard I, some stuff but yeah i but i'm glad that they they executed it well because there's always a fear of sort of tarnishing the memory of these people because you're you're recreating them and you know you're you're putting them into maybe a, a role that they wouldn't have embodied when they were alive you know like so but I mean, it, it was Jason Reitman that did the movie. So you, yeah, you would you would think that he would treat it with some respect. Yeah. And and I think from for from my point of view, it was it was uh, it was a home run. It was definitely yeah. the, the best depiction I've seen. You know, it's it's different when you're adding a little thing in here and a little fan service there. Um, but I, I agree with you. I mean, either recast or find a different way to depict that character in this movie if you think that they're that vital. Right. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm, I'm completely on board with casting Sebastian Stan as Luke Skywalker. Mm-hmm. He resembles him. He's a good actor. Like we need to stop doing these, these, you know, sort of cutscene PlayStation characters, you know, filling in for these roles. Like especially the way they're really pushing Luke into things now. It's like we need to cast a real person, you know, because there's always that disconnect. There's always that. There's there's just something lacking still in in these uh, deep fakes, you know. That... Oh, definitely, definitely, and and especially when you have an opportunity to actually recast. I mean, the Luke that was in Boba Fett, he's not the same Luke that you're seeing in the movies, and he's not no. he, like so. You have an there was a coldness right to him and a and a demeanor to him that really rubbed me the wrong way. It was it was definitely the deep fake was definitely better in Boba Fett than it was in Mandalorian. Um, Leia definitely made some improvements, but there was still this sort of disconnect in, in the characterization and the, the mannerisms and everything. It just felt off. Yeah. You know, Uncanny and that's, Valley, that's the human it. brain and the human brain will, will, it, it's such a, a sort of ingrained uh, instinct for us to pick that sort of thing apart. So the brain will just automatically tell you now, this isn't this isn't right you know and especially with such a beloved character yeah totally agree with that 
So I think that uh, that's that's what's interesting with a lot of these depictions of characters. And, and I know that we're talking a lot about movies and people might think, well, what the hell does this have to do with real life? I mean, yeah. let's, be, let's be honest. I mean, these are stories, right? And our lives are based on stories. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. You know, why do I care about collecting, you know, collectibles from movies? Or why do I care about this character? It's got nothing to do with me. They're not even a real thing. But there's things in there that we can either aspire to, or maybe it's an opportunity for us to take a look at these characters and say, oh, you know, if I make a change here and I make a change here, you know, my life could look a hell of a lot different. So, well, especially like a lot of these stories, it's, it, I mean, they're all variations on the Joseph Campbell hero's journey, you know, like it's, it's all sort of, you know, there's, there's plot points that happen and you can have variations within but they're all sort of following the same sort of structure. And I mean, that, that goes back to the ancient times, you know, where stories were told, the Epic of Gilgamesh and all that kind of stuff. You know, I mean, it all, it's, it's very much uh, part of humanity. You know, yeah, those, these stories. Those archetypal stories, they don't, there's not too many ways to tell them. And there's not too many stories out there, just like there's not too many musical notes out there. Uh, right but it's 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 how you put the pieces together and sort of put your own little spin within them you know absolutely which i mean would feeds back like into the topic of art you know i'm not recreating the wheel you know i'm not reinventing anything um but i'm i'm trying to put my own stamp on on you know the art world or whatever you know like I'm not the first person to draw cute little monsters and I'm not the first person to draw spirits and whatever, but I'm hoping that at least I'm making my own statement, you know, my carving my own sort of little niche. When somebody does take a look at your art, that that kind of brings to mind something and they compare it to something because this is something that we all do. Uh, You know, we're, we're trying to find a way to correlate this in our minds as to how it kind of, Oh, I've seen something similar to this, but this is a cool take on it. How do you, receive that how 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 is your feeling if somebody says oh these guardians kind of remind me of this uh i'm usually pretty receptive to something like that especially when you know i you get a comparison to uh to somebody whose work you really admire or is famous for this work or whatever it's it, to me it's high praise like wow you you're putting me in the same category as you know whoever you know so i usually take it as high praise I don't take it as high praise, but it's always like, well, my, my eight-year-old niece draws stuff like that or whatever, you know, that, that's, a, that's a little different. So that's fair. Uh, but yeah, I'm usually pretty receptive to that. Like, uh, especially with the, the guardian sprites and stuff, you know, people say, oh, that reminds me of uh, the soot sprites from uh, like a Studio Ghibli film or whatever. I get that a lot or, um, you know, the nature or the, the sort of uh, nature spirits from like Princess Mononoke or whatever I get which I mean, those things are masterpieces. You yeah. Know? Like it, it's great creativity, the studio Ghibli and Hiyazaki, you know? So, Hey, I'm open to that stuff, man. Plus, I mean, I, I take inspiration from those things anyways, you know, like I'm always looking at other artists work and, and being inspired, you know, like I'll say, Oh, that's a really cool take on that and whatever, you know, like we're all sort of copying each other, so to speak, you know, in some ways and we're, you know, just putting our own spin on things. There's there's no such thing really as originality, like true originality anymore. 
that sailed the, the first caveman that yeah like the first caveman that drew you know uh hunters uh hunting uh woolly mammoths on the wall that guy's the real og you know <laughs> that's true <laughs> it's a great way of looking at it because i mean we we talk a lot about music and stuff like that right and you know we've uh, my my girlfriend has been raised on classical and she's been exposed to a lot more uh, music than I had, you know, I grew up classic rock and I kind of found my own way in music. And now as, as I'm older, I have an appreciation for classical in, in a way that I never had before, which I probably would have never when I was a child either, because I just didn't, I couldn't articulate it. And it got me thinking a lot like, oh, you know, do you like, was this the original Baroque? Was this the original classical? Like when was the first music? And then we were watching Will Smith's uh, this Earth, I think it's called. Or Welcome to Earth. Welcome to Earth. Yeah, yeah it's sort of a play on his line from uh, Independence Day. I don't know if you've watched any of those episodes. I haven't. Uh, I okay. should probably check it out. Uh, I would I would suggest it. Like I, I've been kind of suggesting it to other people just because what they do with it is different than what I've seen from, you know, inspecting the Earth. Anyways, they end up in, you know, a village and they're just making music and sounds based on eruptions from a volcano i'm not giving away any plot points this is this is pretty common stuff now and as i as i'm watching this i think to myself holy shit like music has literally been around since the beginning of sounds yeah. right it's yeah. just that they were they were they were doing this stuff this stuff and making rhythm before we even had languages because that's how they yeah. would communicate i mean it's audible patterns you know it's it's beats and you know, like even our heartbeat is musical yeah you know like yeah. it yeah, like any reverberation or anything like it, nature makes music. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So is he is he just narrating it or is he actually going to these countries? He's actually stuff? gone to a couple of the places. So we watched two of the episodes. And the thing that I like about it is that in the episode, he'll go to a place, but then they'll also, you know, go to other people that are in other places. So that way they can really flush out the idea as to what they're chasing right. in that episode, uh, which is nice because then, you know, you're not really getting Will Smith just Will Smithing around with, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. billions of dollars and being able to do all of this stuff. Um, but he's he's getting in there, man, and and he's yeah. exploring some cool ideas, um, some very primal ideas, I would say, uh, that that I have a real deep appreciation for, you know, sight, sound, like that type of stuff, getting right yeah. down to the basics, which is really cool, man. I, I would, I, I, you know, what I think that you would appreciate it. Yeah, um, I'll check it out for yeah. sure. It's really, I like, I like the fact that you brought that up, the, the fact that there isn't really any original ideas right now. And I think sometimes people can read that as being negative and pessimistic, but I look at it the same way that you're looking at it. We're at a point in time where we've created a whole hell of a lot of things and all yeah. we're doing is, you know, either making things better or it's just another perspective on it. And, and that's something that I, I mean, perspective. It's just another flavor. It's just another spice on the spice rack. That's exactly you know, right. It's just, yeah, we're at human. We're at the point in human history where, you know, there's just so much art out there. So much, uh, so many creations out there that it's really hard to be truly unique, you know? Yeah. And there's, like I said, there's nothing wrong with that. I spent some time as a photographer. So when you said photography, that really uh, perked my ears up. Uh, and when I first was getting into it, I spent so much time trying to figure out how to be original. 
uh, how to take a landscape that didn't look like every other landscape out there and how to shoot candid portraits that didn't look like anything anybody had ever seen before. And I would actually stay away from other artists and what they were doing. And I personally found that that was unbelievably handcuffing from a creative perspective, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, you kind of, you'll, you'll make yourself go crazy obsessing over not uh, being the same as everyone else. Cause no matter what, we're all going to have our own specific perspective on things, you know, like no two people are going to take the exact same photo. Like if I, if you and I go into an abandoned house, we're all, we're both going to take different shots of different specific things. And like, when it comes to abandoned houses, like I've always, I was always more of a person with, you know, smaller details, like an old hairbrush sitting on, on a decaying dresser or something, you know? And, and I, I came into that hobby as an artist instead of just an explorer, which was, I guess, somewhat different than most of the people that were in that hobby. They were in for it for the rush, you know, of, of eluding security guards and whatever, which I mean, is, is fun too, but I was very interested in, in the passage of time and decay and, and, and memory and all that kind of stuff, you know, and, and focusing on these little, these old details, you know, like an old uh, woman's dress that's left hanging in the closet kind of thing. Like, very cool elements to play with. Uh, time is one of those things that uh, comes up a lot in conversations that I'm a part of. And I think that I, I start to shine a light on it because it's one of those things that, man, I've had such an interesting relationship with over the years. Um, it's, it's such an element that I, I've been trying to figure out for a long time. And now I've, I've actually stopped trying to figure out what time is. Uh, time is is interesting like I, I my wife and I have conversations about it she's very much into science and she's read like uh, Stephen Hawking's books and Brian Cox and all that kind of stuff like she's far more intelligent than I am when it comes to that stuff so like we'll get into some really sort of uh, heady ex existential topics about time and the universe and whatever and how like what we perceive as time and and everything is really just our perception you know, like it, it's all sort of a false construct in our heads of what it is, you know, yeah. like, and, you know, I, I do believe in sort of a multiverse, uh, you know, I, are we living in a matrix? Who knows, you know, like there's so much that we don't understand about the universe and time and, and everything, you know, like we were just talking about how the, the whole topic of there being other life in the universe and, you know, why haven't they contacted us and whatever? And maybe we're just in a, in a sort of span in the universe where it's really quiet and there's not a lot of civilizations out there. So we're not going to interact with anybody because there is nobody. But maybe a billion years ago, there's a ton of civilizations, but they've died out. You know, like it's all these sort of bigger sort of things. Like when I start thinking about the, the universe and this passage of time, my head just kind of goes, <laughs> you know, like because it's it's so much to, to take in. Like even the concept of the stars that you see at, at night, they're millions, billions of light years away. They're probably burnt. Like the light we're seeing was thousands and billions of years ago. Those stars don't ex actually exist right now. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that sort of thing is just mind blowing to me. Every time I, I try to wrap my head around the time frame that we put this universe at, at billions of years, and we look at our recorded history as a, as a species, humans, homo sapiens, and 
how a flicker doesn't even begin to describe mm. how long we've been here for. That, well, have you watched the Neil deGrasse Tyson uh, Cosmos series? Yes, yes. Yeah, and he has that calendar of time, and we're at the last second of the last minute of the calendar. Like, we're just, we're such a speck. That's so Like, ridiculous. it really sort of puts in perspective, like, how sort of, I mean, not to say that we're meaningless, but we're meaningless in the grand scheme of things. You know? Well, in, in the passage of time, if we want to concede, and, and I've been saying for years now, my, my girlfriend is a scientist. She's, she actually works at, <laughs> she works in nuclear reactors. So when you talk oh, about wow. somebody who is smarter than I am, I don't even hold a candle to that brain, but yeah. it's amazing to pick her brain because she's also a sci-fi nerd. Yeah. Uh, so we have these amazing conversations about all of this type of stuff. And I like to get her goat sometimes because I'll, I'll throw things out there. Like, uh, gravity is, is a thing. Like I just say gravity with the, with the quotations. Um, and I do the same thing with time. Uh, time to me is I think one of the, <laughs> it's one of the greatest illusions, you know, how, how something that can feel like it passes by in an instant and also feel like it takes forever is unbelievable to me. And it, it really illustrates to me that that time, like you said, is an illusion. It's just a perception. And we all perceive it differently. Like, like some days it feels like the day is endless and it's like, it, it feels like it's a week. And then some days it's, you know, it goes by in a, in a snap yeah. and you're just like, where the hell did the time go? Or, you know, like even watching like my kids grow up and whatever, it's like, how did they, how is my son 20 years old now? Like, you know, it, and yeah, the whole perception of time, like it, I don't know, like we created clocks to sort of, you know, harness the idea of time, but I don't know. Time, I think is, is elusive, you know, it, and I don't think we really truly comprehend it. If it even exists, maybe the universe just operates in moments, like this moment's happening. And then this, and then that moment, and then that moment, and, you know, it's just sort of, each moment is his own universe or oh, something like that. I like that. You know, like it, each, each moment is its own sort of uh, existence, you know, and, and they all sort of function separately. I like that. I think that uh, recently we had a big conversation about the multiverse. So you had mentioned multiverse and that that's something to me that it's been on my radar for a few years now uh, as yeah. it's become part of, you know, sci-fi and pop culture. And I'm trying to wrap my head around, you know, what does this look like? What does this multiverse look like? We just went and saw the Spider-Man, uh, the new Spider-Man. Uh, yeah, I need to see that. I haven't seen it. It's it's interesting. I, I think that you'll appreciate it. You're, yeah, you're, I, I hear it's pretty fun. Yeah, it's definitely fun. They did I mean, definitely, things. you could definitely see the MCU leaning into the sort of multiverse and, and more 100%. sort of uh, sort of spacey kind of stuff, which is cool. It's I mean, totally fine. I have no problems with it. I think that the thing I that mean, we're talking comic books. So I'm well, this is it. <laughs> this is it. I think as a storytelling uh, tactic, it's brilliant because yeah. you take something that's been established and you can tell, you know, 50 different stories from 50 different points of view and perspectives. And I think that that's fun to play with. I yeah. think that from a storytelling point of view, though, you still have to do it and handle it with a certain amount of respect for what it is you're doing. Um, yeah. The MCU created this monster that we've never seen before. This, you know, the amount of movies that they had with the continuity that they had, not to say everything was perfect, but it was as damn close to being perfect as I've ever seen. And you and I are both horror fans. So we know that continuity in long franchises doesn't really exist. No, I mean, you look at the Halloween movies, you know, oh. they, they constantly reboot them and they're, and they, they always say anything after the first one or the second one is not Canon or whatever. Yeah. It's just like, 
that's kind of disrespectful to the people that worked on those movies. Not to say that those movies are amazing or anything, but still people worked hard on those and you're just kind of just, just, you know, sweeping the shit off the table to tell your story. And it's like, eh, I don't know. I, I totally agree with you. And it was actually uh, the director of the new ones, uh, Green. I can't remember. Yeah, uh, David Green or David something Green. like that. Yeah. It was an interview with him that actually started to change my mind about those non-canon movies when he was asked, so where does this fit into the storyline? Like, this isn't really canon because this happened in this movie and this happened in that movie. And he's like, I like to just think that all of them can exist, you know, just from different perspectives and different points. And it was at that point in time, I was like, holy shit, he's talking about a multiverse. Right. Like he He's talking about timelines that can exist simultaneously or within the same realm or whatever, but maybe yeah. just happening at a different point, a uh, different place, different points in time. Uh, and so as soon as he said that, I started looking at all of these movies as that, that these are just different takes on things that we all grew up loving. Right. So I, yeah. I thought that was a pretty cool way of looking at it. That my fear is that you're going to get less sophisticated storytellers coming in and just being like, well, whatever, man, here is, uh, here's Batman, you know, 47 for the first installment, uh, 47th time of the first installment. And it's like, you don't. Yeah. And we have to see his parents getting killed again, but you know, this time it's different or whatever. And it's just exactly. like, I don't know, like how many times do we need to see the origin story of these characters? Yes. You know, like, like the, the new Batman movie that's coming out from what I understand, it's more of an origin story of the villains than it is the actual Batman. Okay. Which. I, and I actually really, it, it seems to have a bit of a horror vibe to it. Oh, nice. Which yeah. I, I don't know if you've seen any of the trailers for the Batman. I have. I get I get so concerned, man, when I see trailers that I know, I, know. I do have to say, though, they've definitely intrigued me because it definitely is leaning into the darker sort of more horror vibe that I think has been lacking from Batman. Because, I mean, you, you think about the world of Batman, it's very gothic and dark and it's pretty creepy like yeah you've got this maniac the joker and you've got two-face and <clears throat> scarecrow especially you know with the fear and everything like it i think it's cool to sort of lean into the horror vibe of it you know but yeah i mean they could completely shit the bed with it too you know <laughs> well and this is uh this is what I've, I've never really read a lot of comics or graphic novels or or anything like that growing up, but I'm starting to get a really new appreciation for going back and actually reading novels because in learning that when you have an idea and then it goes to the big screen, the amount of steps and the amount of people and the amount of ideas and hacking apart that these stories face, you don't get that at the book level. You know, you're chopping right. out a lot of those producers and, you know, directors and rewrites and all that type of stuff, yeah. which is cool. Well, it has to be distilled down because you're trying to tell a story in two hours or whatever. Fair. Um, so I, I get that to a certain extent, but you <clears throat> you have to try and balance, you know, not doing a disservice to the character and the story. And Definitely. sometimes it, it, it the balance is struck well, like. You know, the Nolan Batman trilogy was fairly well done. Like the Dark Knight was obviously the pinnacle of that with, you know, the incredible Heath Ledger performance. But, you know, they he was able to tell a story fairly well, you know, at the third one wasn't too crazy about. But if you can, you know, this if you're going to distill it, at least distill the elements that are important to the core of the story. You know, yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, when it comes to the new Batman, see, here's my thing when it comes to trailers. 
if a movie is announced and I know that I want to see it, I don't really care to see the trailer. That's just my right. hot take. You know, I, I don't necessarily need to go into it thinking one thing and kind of get side blind, side blinded because that's happened so many times before where my expectation is at a certain level based on elements that I saw in a trailer, uh, which is not fair to the movie, but you can't unsee what you see sometimes. And so, and sometimes it's so badly mismarketed. In, in the trailers, Definitely. you know, like th- there's a couple of uh, A24. I love the studio A24. They did the, the Witch and the Lighthouse and stuff like that. And there's a couple of their movies that were pretty poorly marketed. You know, I think there's one called He Comes at Night or something like that. And it made it look like, you know, this really like there was this creepy poster image where it was a dog sort of barking into the darkness in front of it. And it looked like it was going to be like, you know, spirits or something and end up being something completely different than what you would get from the trailer i don't know if you've seen that one i have seen that one yes yeah and it's a fine movie i i I like the movie but it was not at all what i expected no definitely not definitely not and it's cool to play with different elements and i think scary can be scary no matter you can take any movie and you can change the soundtrack to that movie and it can give you a completely different tone but i agree with you if it's marketed the wrong way um, Jennifer's body was another one that was horribly marketed that, that yeah. movie when I, I still haven't seen it, it, but from what I, I, it has a cult following because it's got it's a massive following. Yeah. And, and it's very empowering female, uh, female yeah. writer, director, you know, there's, there's a lot yeah, of Katie Kudama or something like that. Yeah. She's, is she not the one that did uh, Juno? I think no, she, she did. Uh, I don't think she did. I think Juno wasn't that the uh, Reitman that did Juno. You know what? I'm drawing a blank on it. I know that but anyway, she, has, she, she, I don't know if you saw the movie, the invitation. Uh, no, I haven't actually. I highly recommend that. It's the same director as Jennifer's body. Okay. All right. I'll check that out. Highly recommend that one. It's a, it's kind of an underseen, underseen gem. Interesting. I definitely recommend it. I like those gems, right? Because then you don't, you don't get tainted with any uh, preconceived notions. You just sit down right. and watch a movie. My buddy and I watch so many Underground I have so many movies. horror movies in in that sort of genre of under underappreciated gems oh. like uh, like Lake Mungo. I don't know if you've seen that. One. No, I haven't seen that. I highly recommend that one as well. Um, it's it's it feels like a documentary, like the way it's filmed. It, it's supposed to come across as a documentary, and it's so like there's just a scene from the movie that I won't I won't spoil. It's still ingrained in my brain. Oh, like amazing. it's one of those things where it's just it's there. It's just it's rent free in my brain oh. i highly recommend it you might have to like torrent it or something you know okay I but uh, yeah i'll get somebody else too yeah yeah uh but i highly recommend it it's from uh, australia very, very ch- good. we're gonna shoot some some back and forth i think on social media because i got a few that I'll, I'll recommend to you as well some some french yeah, yeah. some french movies uh inside like i don't know if you like um, i've seen inside that one just scarred beam <laughs> that, that was so right? intense so yeah. intense yeah and for um, reasons that i still don't even understand uh i have another french one called uh them Yield. oh okay no i haven't watched that one definitely check that one out i think it was remade in the u.s but i definitely recommend checking that out i don't like i don't like i will say this for the most part not i'm not going to generalize everything the remakes of foreign films are never nearly as good and you know i can think of so many so many examples i will say the ring was actually a, okay a good great remake well, i i like those ones those that and the grudge when they came out for sure 
Um, didn't like the grudge, but I did like the ring. I found the ring really disturbing. Yeah, it was. They really, they really play with like body, body, uh, you know, horror, dis- yeah, yeah, body horror. Um, but I mean, the original Old Boy versus the uh, Old Boy. I haven't even. Seen, I didn't see the remake. Oh, like, I was just. I saw the reviews for it, and I was just like, yeah, this really does look terrible. Yeah. But, yeah. but they I mean, like and the original is so great. It's phenomenal. But I think I think what you end up getting into there is cultural differences, right? Like audiences yeah. here are not going to necessarily understand a story like that. Not to say that I understood it fully. I just once that twist took place, I was just like, I don't what I mean, I didn't even see that coming. And yeah, it was I know. disgusting for us on a lot of different levels. But yeah. even culturally, it's that much more. I, I remember reading some reviews on things like The Grudge, and they were saying the same thing. Like, if you take the boogeyman story from North America and you bring that over to, you know, China, it's not going to have the same impact as it would here because their boogeyman is different than ours. Right. And I thought that that perspective was pretty Well, yeah, the, the, the pale, long-haired girl is a, a long-running uh, ghost sort of tradition in, mm-hmm. in the Asian countries. Yeah. You know, uh, like I think there's one, especially like in Indonesia where it's, it's like this uh, sort of witch sort of like uh woman on, on a road and you'll see her just sort of standing there hunched over, like kind of like Sadako or whatever, but it's okay. sort of a different variation on like the, all these countries have different sort of these uh, folk tales, you know, so to speak. I mean, every every culture has their sort of boogeyman. Like you know, in Ireland, yeah. it's the banshees and whatever. You know, and then the Babadook. You know, oh yes. And, you know, they, they all have their sort of variation on it. Don't get me wrong. Listen, if I'm walking down the streets of Durham and I see a pale white kid with scraggly hair that looks like they've been run through the mud, I'm not necessarily just going to stroll up to them and ask them how their day is going. No, no, I might, if, if I'm in my car, I might just like roll down the window a crack and say, just, are you okay? Just you a know? crack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we've all seen too many horror movies to fall for that. Yeah, we, we know better. Um, listen, I want to circle back and, and we'll wrap up with this. Um, I had uh, heard a rumor and I wanted to confirm with you that you are going to be doing a showcase of the guardians at concave is this true yes and yeah, so a- so tell us a little bit more about this because i think sure. that uh this is definitely where i want to end off because this is about you um and and you know i want to yeah we, that we sort there. of went off on a tag and, oh that's and, uh, okay entertainment, which is which is cool and- i think the six people that listen to the show are used to that by now <laughs> yeah um yeah, I'm doing a, a solo show uh, at Concave Gallery in uh, August. It was originally supposed to be for April, but, you know, I've had some, as you know, sleep issues and stuff, and it's sort of hindered my creativity right now to be ready for that. So we've rebooked it for August. It's going to be month long, and it's going to be a showcase of my Guardian sprites and also uh, my inked photography. Um, I'm sort of going to split the show in half. They're, they both sort of have an overlap in some subjects but they're both going to be sort of their own thing in the space. Um, there'll be new works of the guardian sprites and new works of, uh, of the, uh, ink photography. And, uh, I may try and do, like, I'm, I'm going to probably do uh, meet the artist cause I'm going down there at the beginning of August to do the setup and everything. So I'll probably do a meet the artist sort of, uh, event. Um, and I was maybe going to do uh, a monster maker, uh, sort of class, 
okay people can come and draw monsters with me and sort of oh. explore that sort of thing so cool um, man so yeah you can take advantage of their new space that uh, that they have open now yeah that, yeah that he just opened that new space which is really uh, awesome. that, that gallery is awesome like, yeah he's a great, great guy yeah, yeah. definitely like, i've I, known i met keith a few years ago at uh bizarre the bizarre in uh i think hamilton or something and uh, we hit it off and then we saw each other uh, at different uh, conventions and stuff and then we just sort of went from there yeah so and i'm so glad that he's opened this gallery and it seems to be doing really well which is awesome it's said a lot that this world is so small um i I mean it's it's still a gigantic rock that we're on but it's really cool that on such a big piece of property you know we can all find ourselves and find each other because had i not strolled into perth of all places i've never had any inkling of being there we just happened to be driving back through that town Uh, i think we were actually looking for a bakery because that's often what we're doing and uh so i mean had we not strolled into there we wouldn't have met him wouldn't have had phenomenal conversations with him and continue to do so. And then I wouldn't have had a chance to meet uh, you as well. Yeah. And well, uh, yeah. Cause he had, I, I think he had posted about the podcast and, and saying that you were, you were looking for guests and I was just like, Hey, I'll, I'll do yeah, it. Yeah. You know, Cause I had done a few podcasts before and I'm always happy to talk about my art and mental health and whatever. So yeah, it's cool that, you know, there's always a sort of little community that sort of swirls around each other and, you know, it, it's always cool to see the people I've, I've come to know and be friends with, you know, based off of the arts community and everything. We Absolutely. all sort of have, uh, I don't know, we all seem to s- sort of have the same or similar worldview and, and morals and whatever, you know, like. I agree. I mean, in, in a lot of ways, as I'm talking to you, it's it's an extension of that conversation with Keith. And I know that we all gravitate towards the people that that we click with. Um, and so, yeah, definitely that community that continues to grow is also amazing because to me for a long time, you probably could relate to this. I don't know, but I thought for the longest time that the way that I think and the way that I talk and the way that I view things was just me. And I'm realizing yeah. that's not even close. I was to always true. a weirdo or whatever. Exactly. You know? and, and now I think there's more weirdos out there or or not necessarily more, but they're, they're more open about their, their idiosyncrasies and whatever. And, yeah. You know, so I think it's, it's good. It, it, I mean, social media is terrible, but in some ways it's good because there's people like us connecting, you know, and I guess it amplifies, it amplifies some really bad voices, but it amplifies, you know, some good voices too. Hey, as long as we can do the things that we were talking about earlier and consume things and, and utilize things and pluck out the good from them and recognize the bad, because I don't yeah. think that there's a, a world that we should live in where we ignore things. I think that, you know, all things should be considered. Um, yeah. I think that that's the only thing that we can do, man. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, listen, Mark, I can't thank you enough for not just your time, but your willingness to talk about your, your own expression and your own struggles. And um, if you do end up doing a meet your artist, count me in because I've got a piece upstairs that needs either accompaniment or, or something else, but I also need an autograph and to meet you in person would be outstanding, my friend. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, it'd be great to see you in August. Very cool. Well, thank you very much again. And uh, we'll call that a wrap. Awesome. You take care. Yeah, you too.